I'm joined by two familiar faces. Um, I'm absolutely blessed to be rejoined by an incredible couple. Um, they're back on the show to help me celebrate my 100th episode and make it extra special for you guys. They need absolutely no introduction. It's the fabulous Mark Victor Hansen and his incredibly beautiful wife, Crystal Dwyer Hansen. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you, Ali. We are so happy to be back with you and congratulations on your 100th podcast. That's quite an accomplishment. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I can't think of any better guest to help me celebrate. Um, now, how I would describe you two, you're an ordinary couple who have achieved some extraordinary things. Um, and in this episode, I would like to just dig a little bit deeper. I want to know what makes you guys tick. Um, Mark, I've been blessed to have a little preview of your uh, biography, which is uh, getting released very soon. And there's just so much to unpack in there. So if it's okay with you, Crystal, I'd like to just start by taking Mark back to the beginning. Yeah. Because your family were originally Danish immigrants. They were illiterate. They came over to this country to start a bakery. You had very little um, in terms of um, money growing up. And um, tell us a little bit about your childhood, please, Mark. Uh, by the way, I love that. Thank you, Ellie. Um, I would say in the most specific way is what I had, the greatest thing I had was bur white hot burning desire and aspirations uh, to get out of relative poverty. We weren't, we could eat, but that was it. I had to start buying my own clothes at nine years old and have never stopped buying clothes since. <laughs> it's, it's, it's true. He loves clothes. We both love clothes and, and we have a good time and we, it, it has been the most wonderful journey so far. And I'm going to live to be 127. So there's going to be more to tell and you'll have to have us on your 1000th podcast. <laughs> absolutely now you mentioned there that you were buying your own clothes from age nine uh, but that wasn't all you were buying from age nine you've been on holiday with the family they managed to get the money together you've been to visit europe now i understand that you actually saw one of the really fancy european bikes which was ridiculously expensive i think it was like 157 dollars but back then in terms of the equivalent value you're looking at like over $12,000 in today's money. And you decided at age nine that this was the bike for you. That's right. And I was a Boy Scout and it said in the back of the Boy Scout Life magazine, I could sell greeting cards and consignment. And I said, that means I don't have to pay anything. So I sold 376 boxes of Christmas cards outside of Chicago, a place called Waukegan, Illinois, where I was born in deep snow at that time in November. And I said, you, I'm earning my own bicycle to all my neighbors. Would you like to invest in one box of Christmas cards or two? And they all bought and it was, so I became the number one greeting card salesman then. And then 40 years later, they come back and, and I'm the biggest guy in book licensing. And we sold 897,000 box of Christmas cards at grocery stores, Jack and I, and, and I wrote most of them and picked them and all that. And it was, it was great excitement and almost impossible to believe that you could do that kind of full cycle over one lifetime. But when I read that, though, it just, I don't know, it, it was really quite powerful to me because I can just imagine the average nine-year-old, as we all do, saying to our parents, mummy, daddy, I want, I want, I want. And of course, they say, no, 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 no. But rather, <laughs> than, but ra rather than being deterred by that, you, you actually sat down and made a plan to get you from where you were to where you wanted to be. And you actually executed it because your dad finally said to you, 
Look, yeah, if you can save up the money, you can have it, just thinking it's a bit of a pipe dream, not really expecting you to actually go and... And you did just actually, you did just raise the money for the bike. You, you ended up with significantly more than that as well. Well, Dad said, uh, taught the line, pride of ownership is, uh, pride of ownership follows pride of ownership. So I had to earn it. And then he took half that money, took us down to the little bank called Little Fort Bank in Joaquin, Illinois. And, and we had a deposit. And he said, this is your college fund. And because he was not articulate in English, I didn't quite get, what am I saving for college for? I'm a nine-year-old kid. What do I care about college? <laughs> But later on, when I borrowed money from musical instruments and other stuff out of my own bank account, I thought, wow, this is the coolest thing ever to have a bank account and be rich. <laughs> and I said, I'm never going to be poor. And, and I've gone up and down a couple of times, but uh, overridingly, I've had a phenomenal life and phenomenal prosperity. And everybody can have it in a free enterprise culture. That's the most important subset line I got to give you. Yeah, because your mom always said that she had the best kids on the block as well. And I wonder how significant that sort of belief that your parents had was in terms of your own mindset at such a young age because your dad also said that America had hope written all over it and it's your obligation to turn on the lights oh well, you really read the biography <laughs> I'll tell you I have I have I gotta tell you that Crystal and I have in our blended family five kids and now six grandkids and we're teaching them the same values virtues and characteristics not only uh, by example, but we make them earn or inspire them to earn everything and they're doing it. And they will gladly tell you how exactly like we were with our grandkids last night at a great baseball game where our grandson at nine years old pitched a no hitter. He was amazing and their team won 16 to 14. But the point is they can tell you, I got $147 in savings for MP or Ed Mimi. So it's, it's amazing and very uh, touching to our hearts and souls. Wow. I, I, I absolutely love that. I've got to ask Mark, you were, you uh had um, four brothers as well did they adopt the same entrepreneurial spirit uh yeah yeah everybody did really well yeah my oldest uh brother made a lot of money he was uh, head of the atomic energy as it turns out he has a photographic memory he's passed away just recently and then my second oldest brother uh, did the fencing at uh universal studios and, and uh, uh, disney in orlando and then my little brother who has a, a graduated head of his class as an attorney which means my parents must have been really smart, but he is, uh, he started out owning all the dry cleaners and uh, from Boulder, Colorado, Longmont, and then um, proceeds now to be buying a lot of real estate. And so they've all done really well. Wow, that's really interesting. And <laughs> there are so many stories. I'm laughing because I, I know what question I'm about to ask you now. But let's fast forward a little bit. Um, and, and Crystal, I know you're going to find this story hilarious as well, but when Mark was 16, he was watching the, um, I think with like 73 million other Americans, um, you'd have been too young, you probably weren't even born at that time, he was watching, he was watching the Beatles <laughs> and um, was inspired, as so many people were, to start a rock band. But there was just one slight challenge with that, wasn't there? Yeah, there was a, I didn't play anything at the time and it, it didn't matter to me. I called my best scan to so and buddy Gary Youngberg and said, uh, we're starting a rock group. He said, what do you play? I said, nothing. I said, what do you play? Nothing. He said, that, then we're qualified. He said, how can you say that? I was joking. I said, well, look at the percussionist, the drunk <laughs> Ringo star. And, and uh, if Ringo can do it, we can do it. And in a few weeks time, we memorized 50 songs and we had a lot of stuff because nobody was playing rock in the, uh, Musicians union didn't want us because they were all what were called long hair. Now I've got no hair, but <laughs> they they were you know they were playing the Lawrence Welk bubble music. 
basically, and they didn't want rock. But rock was so poor. It was easy to sell because nobody was doing it, and we had a great band. And my wife says your name, The Messengers, was prophetic of what you're going to do for the rest of your life. Right. He never realized that. You know, when I first learned the story about his rock band, The Messengers, I go, do you get that? You even called your band The Messengers. It's, it, it just portended what was about to happen in your life. It's absolutely crazy. Literally from concept to being on stage, it was three weeks. You'd actually learn the guitar, the songs, how to actually get the gigs, like all within the space of three weeks. But it, it, here's why it's important to everybody listening, because we've all had a pivot. We've all had to do what our book asks as ask is a bridge from your dreams yeah. or destiny. And everyone says, well, I could do that when I'm old enough. I can do that when I was young enough. I could do that when I was tall enough, short enough, smart enough. Bunk, you can do it starting right now. And that's the whole point. We've got to go into a nowness culture because of the COVID confinement cocoon. Crystal and I believe everyone's got to learn to be an entrepreneur. That means they find a problem, and God, there are enough of them. Eight billion of us live have eight billion problems. Find a problem, fix it, solve it, scale it, and then make a vast profit with it. I've got to ask you something. I wasn't actually planning on asking this during this interview, but I heard you say in a previous interview, you know this is something that you're both really passionate about. You just mentioned the population of eight billion people. I've heard you both say that you think the solution to the overpopulation is improving the energy on the planet. Can I ask you both just to expand on what you mean by that? Real simple. When I was in graduate school, I was the smartest guy on the planet. Einstein's best student was my teacher, Dr. Bucky Fuller. Bucky said, everything is energy, right? E equals MC yeah. squared energy. So the, the point is what we gotta do is create more green, clean energy. Now we gotta stay on fossil fuels probably for 20 or 30 years. So all these idiots that we've got that are faceless bureaucrats around the world and everything saying, well, we gotta, have climate change, but there's no climate problem. We, we need to grow more plants, get rid of CO2, but that's a whole different issue. The issue is, yes, we should have solar and wind and tidal and geothermal, all that's true. But when, when energy goes up, population automatically stabilizes. Right now in America, we're at a, repl a below replacement level. You, replacement level is we have two people die a year, so you need two new births. We're at 1.2 new births in the United States and in most of, you're in England, right? Yeah. In, in England, it's about the same because you, yeah. you're an industrialized nation. Now, the only reason you've got a high population is you've got a lot of immigration come in. And the point is that's true everywhere, whether it's Africa, whether it's Asia, China. Now, we are depopulating the, the planet automatically now. Hey guys, it's Ellie, and I'm super excited to share that I'm partnering up with one of my favorite brands, AG1 by Athletic Green. I'm asked all the time about the one thing that I do to take care of my health. And in reality, there's so many to choose from. But if I could only pick one, it would be Athletic Greens because it ticks so many boxes. Life can get pretty hectic. As a busy mum of three, I know firsthand how easy it is to let your nutrition slip, especially when you're always on the go or traveling. It's easy to neglect the thing that's the most important to us, and that's our health. Since I started taking AG1, it's been a game changer. My energy levels have been through the roof, my hair and skin feel amazing, my digestion's improved, and I'm even sleeping better. It's a real deal. The ingredients are sourced from the highest quality producers from around the world. But what I love most about it is that all my nutritional bases are covered with one scoop. 75 high quality vitamins, minerals and probiotics, which means it's replaced a ton of other supplements that was previously taken. 
It's my secret weapon. It helps me show up as the best version of myself every single day, all from adding one simple habit. But don't just take my word for it. If you're looking for a simpler and cost-effective supplement routine, Athletic Greens is giving you a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free travel packs with your first purchase. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash on a mission. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash on a mission. Check it out. And it's really what Fuller taught me, Dr. Fuller taught me, is it's a design problem. There's no, we get enough room on this great planet, which has got a circumference of 25,000 miles, a diameter of 8,000 miles, to hold 12 billion, that's 4 billion more than we got now. But the population isn't going to go up up above 8 billion, and, and we got a lot of people fighting that, So, uh, which is a whole different issue. We ought to do it at a different time, but I can go into it. Unfortunately, we're um, very involved in, in a lot of stuff that is contrarian in its thinking. How's that? <laughs> well, I, I think it's just because we ask a lot of questions, right? Um, I yeah, think well, well, it's interesting you say that, Crystal, because that's, that's very unpopular at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, it is very unpopular. And so, you know, when you look at the problem of, you know, global warming and whatnot, if you if you follow us, other scientists, they'll say we're in some super trends of like, uh, we're actually going into a, a cooling super trend because first it was global warming and then it was um, climate change. But I think the most important thing is the idea that um, some of these people have that you need to eliminate people from the planet. I mean, I think it's actually gotten that extreme that, um, you know, we need to get rid of some of these air breathers or whatever. Mm -hmm. And the opposite is true. I mean, one of the people we respect the most is Elon Musk. And he said, uh, those people who look at that theoretically are, are stuck in a theory from the past that is so outdated because um, what's happening now is like Mark was saying, the population is decreasing so rapidly when you project forward by, you know, 2030, even, and then into 2050, we, he said, it's, we're in grave danger of not having enough people on the planet to keep our economies alive. And so that's a real danger. The other thing is when you talk about, you know, the global warming and the dirty air and all of this, some of the very people that are pretending to be the greatest advocates of, you know, taming the climate are also the ones who own all of the fossil fuels companies. And also, you know, we have uh, a lot of people we know in technology and they say there's a lot of technology. In fact, some of it was tested in the 80s of just pure clean fuel. Uh, uh, and I don't even remember the name of the type of generator, but I think there's technology out there. Whenever you look at an issue you have to look at where the interests really lie and ask mm -hmm. those questions right who who's making money off fossil fuels who's getting rich you know um our economy certainly does run right now on fossil fuels like mark said if you look at we worked with uc irvine in california for a while because we invested in clean energy we believe in it but it's a it's a long transition tale i mean you, it's a curve that you have to you have to take the path you can't just end fossil fuels today or economies all over the world will will crash and bankrupt. We rely for shipping food and all kinds of things on fossil fuels, and there's no alternative at the moment. So you have to look, you know, take these initiatives very carefully, look at all the information and really question whose interests, who's got the um, vested interests in keeping this stuff alive and keeping 
imagine right now, Ellie, if we had clean energy, we just somebody said, look, I discovered it and I want to give it to everyone free. Everyone should have free energy and no one should have to pay anyone else for it. Think of how many companies would lose their um, you know, position on Wall Street. <laughs> so. Have you always asked the, this level of questions? <laughs> I think for me, I grew up in a family of nine children and same two parents. You know, we both ate, we all had the same rules. Um, we all ate out of the same refrigerator, but we all ended up being very different. It was interesting. And I always found that to be very interesting. Why are we so different? You know, we're so different. I, I felt like, you know, we came to this planet with a set of experience, you know, that, uh, that maybe was unique to each one of us, one thing, but it's also the, the questions that we asked and the decisions yeah. we made around those answers. Um, you know, the conclusions we were drawing around the questions we were asking ourselves. And it's amazing how vastly different the outcomes can be when you learn to ask the right questions. So I think I, think I was always questioning things coming from that big, that big family, like, why is she doing that? You know, there's an easy, better way out of this, or. I, I figured out at a young age that it was important to form alliances because with the big family. So my younger, <laughs> younger sister, Melissa, and I had a serious buddy alliance. So we, we would discuss because philosophically, I, I discovered we believe the same things. And our other two sisters kind of would go the opposite way. But that, that was very important. It's interesting because like I know that you're both massively into goals and writing things down. And I believe, Mark, I've read that you have over six thousand goals actually written down and, and we're not talking small goals I mean we have varying um, degrees of goals but you know at the top of it you're looking at ways to fix the planet that's something that's the you know core value for both of you but did I suppose it's it's the same question in a different way really but did, did you start with that end in mind or was it through developing yourself um becoming the best version of yourself getting around the right people, developing that knowledge that allowed your questions to continue to expand? Or, or, or were you there from like, you know, age 12 thinking, right, this, this is what I want to do at a high level, you know? <laughs> I'm going to do number two. <laughs> <laughs> I, the, the truth is, because I went bankrupt in 1974 and I lost absolutely everything and I was downtrodden and, and man, I wanted to dust my life. And then all of a sudden I started, luckily I'd sold my way through school and, and I'd been given a tape and I started listening to it. And he said, either the creature circumstance or the creator. And he said, you can't get on an airplane without a ticket. And the ticket has a destination. And that's obviously what we expanded on here. We're saying, what Crystal was just saying is that we think everyone has, since we started talking to you a long time ago, a soul destination. And obviously I had a soul destination and she's got one and we've got one together. We're, we're two hearts and one soul as far as I'm concerned. That's how I define it. But the, the point is, there's only two guys in the world in answer to the first part of your question. Of course, I had two parts in my eyes, 6,000 goals, which is more than that now. But is, is uh, the other guy is our friend, Dr. John Martini. I introduced him to you. I don't know if you've had John on or not. But uh -huh. Johnny, and I, Johnny and I are the only two guys that ever, and, and he is profoundly brilliant and our deep dear friend, but are the only two guys that ever shared goals because everyone else has got anemic goals and, and not to finish that. Um, when when Rob uh, Moore had me on the show and he was your first show and we we're just talking about me, he's our dear friend, all of us here. 
is it is it more said i heard you in talking to thousands of people in the uk and and you goal shame me and i said i don't shame anybody he said no 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 i was taught you never have over five goals and you spend all your time definite major purpose on one goal and he said i hit four out of five that's 90 percent." but suddenly i hear you and you say start with 101 never cross them out i got i got the milk i got the eggs i got the butter write down victory in purple god's highest color and then keep adding to them until you expand he said holy cow he said i immediately uh, wrote down a hundred goals and I hit 30 of them. So 30 versus four is a big, big difference, but I was only 30% of my goal, but it, it was so monstrously more successful. And I learned that because when I went bankrupt, I got addicted. I shut off all the TV and media, which I'd recommend other than your podcast, of course, but I'm talking about all the negative media, not all the LA media and, uh, and media we're doing, but shut off the negativity and pour in the positivity. And once you start doing it, you start to have big, hairy, audacious goals like becoming world's best-selling author, becoming a Horatio Alger life member, which we are trying to change the economy and make sure every kid is an entrepreneur. And I know I'm going too deep, but we now have a little publishing company we call Mark Victor Hanson Library.com. We met the youngest kid. We were at a seminar, a think tank down in Houston. This kid comes up to us, pimples all over his face, beautiful kid that was shaking being intimidated by me now I, I i know i hope i don't intimidate anyone but you know i said just breathe it's okay and his daddy and mommy were there he said you know mark i made 847 i'm worth four eight hundred forty three thousand dollars and i went excuse me you're 14 years old <laughs> he started where he had a model in his head he could buy real estate he took the the uh, real estate boards at eight years old i wish my dad had told me i could have done that i would have bought a he lot of real estate because <laughs> he, he cut lawns rate made a thousand dollars bought his first ten thousand dollar home and then in ohio which is sort of a rust belt in america fix it up and then now owns 60 major properties and his little brother how old is his little brother what's the story um so he's 12 yeah and he said oh mrs hansen i own a lot of real estate too (laughs) you know he's like watching his brother tell his story he's like i own real estate too They're so cute. They're amazing. Yeah, it was a model I didn't know existed. And that's why I I wrote The Richest Kids in America, because we did 21 kids that were under 19. It all made multiple millions. And and nobody hears that story because you go to school, you get a job. No, no. Then you're a job slave. And I don't like slavery in any level. I want to break everyone free. And and the only way to solve the economy, which is now crazy hyperinflation world around where we're printing too much money, is one solution only. Everyone has to become an entrepreneur, so we create more value. We got four billion people coming online thanks to the cell phone, thanks to the internet, thanks to to my hero Elon Musk, who's creating uh, what's called Skylink, which has forty thousand satellites, and he's solving so the problem uh, of war and stuff like that by creating fundamental informational abundance. That was wow. a long answer. I think that, I no, that was a long answer and a, and a very good answer. But you, you also so I'm, I'm going to take it back to the purpose because you mentioned about when you were 26 going bankrupt and how what turned out to be the worst year of your life you transformed it into the best year of your life and I I believe you literally went bankrupt within a couple of days during the the oil embargo but the thing that I want to touch on was you didn't know what your purpose were you uh, just referenced there that you were feeling close to suicidal at that point you you went from sort of being a a millionaire to sleeping on a shared floor and you asked God a question and it, it sort of changed the trajectory of 
your life moving forward and I wondered if one if you could share that story with the listeners but two if you could also offer any guidance and how other people who are perhaps struggling with the goals and the questions to ask how they can tap into that purpose that we all have deep inside of us when, when, okay perfect question when crystal and i wrote ask we said there are three channels of asking ask yourself ask others and ask god and then she got me clear that for six months i'm i'm destitute i have no money and i'm not doing well and i say okay god do you want me to be alive what do you want me to do and god did the opposite of what i expected he said well, what do you want to do Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's really the question everyone's got to ask themselves. What do I want to do? Because you've got to get definite with the infinite. And I said, well, I want to talk to people that care about things that matter that would make a life-changing difference. Well, the next morning, I, I, I'm living at $100 a month rent with three guys, the four of us in this junky house in Hicksville, Long Island, New York, because I didn't have any money. Like I, you said, I was sleeping in a sleeping bag in front of the guy's room for 100 bucks a month. Anyhow, I said, boys, you know anybody young that's a professional speaker that's not a Broadway star because we were in New York, in New York, not a, a lawyer, a doctor, a celebrity of any type or a cotton top, meaning a white haired person like me. I need to be able to relate to him or her. The guy said, yeah, here's a ticket to uh, Chip Collins. He's phenomenal. He's turning around a real estate market, which at the time, interest rate was 28%. So real estate in New York and in, in America was in the tank because yeah. of the oil embargo, which is exactly the kind of stuff that's happening while we're doing this, which is not necessary. It's back to what Chick, what Crystal was saying. It, it, it is a, a plot to have a greatest wealth shift in the world. And, and I'm not part of that wealth shift. So I want the wealth to shift to the people that are smart enough to listen to this podcast of yours and smart enough to share with all their friends and then get a team to build their dream. Anyhow, I go here, Chip Collins. He wows, whatever he had, 500, 600 people in the audience. I ask him, Chip, can I take you to lunch? Tell me how to do this. He said, you stay, you're not going to make it. One in a thousand chance of making it. But he said, Used to have a real estate. I own the five areas. There's five cities. They're called boroughs of New York. And I'll teach you how to do it. But do life insurance. I'm not, you're not going to be here when I get back. I'm going on vacation for two weeks. I had more talks than he did by the time he came back. And I did four, you know, the first, only Tony Robbins and I, the first three years we did it, we did over 400 talks a year. I mean, because if you want massive success, you got to take massive right action in a direction of your heart's desire. And, and like I was doing little audiences of six, seven, eight, ten 10 people four times a day, sometimes six in the morning, one at 10, one at two, one as late as eight at night and, and loving every second of it. And then they said, well, I love your story. Do you have it in a book? So the first book I did was not this one, of course, but I did Stand Up, Speak Up and Win. And, and in one year at self-published, I sold 20,000 copies, little groups, those little audiences. And we, at $10 each, made uh, $200,000. Well, today that's like 2 million. I am high flying again. I buy myself a Chrysler Cordoba car <laughs> with white Corinthian leather. I am smoking. And I got out of that little junk property and bought a house and all that stuff. So I was I was back on my feet again and thankful and never from that part, never looked back. And I was a speaker that wrote and now I'm a writer that speaks. I love that. And they're the two qualities that you probably talk about the most, speaking and writing. Are they the, the values that you, you hold the highest? Uh, yeah, like Crystal said, you know, that's uh, being a messenger and a communicator and now a communicator of entrepreneurship and and, and literacy because you my cliche is you got to read to be freed and, and we need the world. Eight billion of us have got to learn to read and only half of us can. And, and we, we want to, Crystal and I are dedicated to freeing total humanity to comprehensive uh, abundance. 
And a quality that you've both got is the ability to be able to to tell stories, which we've seen with um, the, the Fable as well, haven't we? And the, which is going to be a movie, which is absolutely phenomenal. And obviously with, with Chicken Soup for the Soul. But perhaps you could tell us a little bit about the, the forthcoming movie, Crystal. Oh, gosh, it has been an amazing adventure, Ellie. And honestly, when I wrote it, so Mark and I started writing the book Ask together and we each did our parts, you know, all of his philosophies, all of my years of life coaching, my hypnotherapy practice. So we were blending that together. And then and then we decided to start the book with a fable. And I thought we'd write it about animals. I was like, I love fables about animals. But then I just came to me to write it about a girl. So I thought we might pass it back and forth. But when I started writing, I just I it's just like it was just pouring through me. So I wrote the whole thing. I handed it to Mark and he's like, he started crying and he's like, this is so amazing, honey. I want to put this at the front of the book. And because um, I thought we'd intersperse it throughout. But um, as it turns out, it is having such a profound effect on people, Ellie. I had no idea. I mean, and especially like, I think I, I thought the women would love it, but you cannot believe how many men, like po podcasters with me, <laughs> businessmen, they're like, I just love this book. And I read that fable. And I've never cried at a, you know, over a book before. And I was crying. I found myself in that story. And so many people have said, I found myself in that story. They'll wake their teenage daughter up and read it or wake their wife up and read it with her. I mean, we just had a guy, um, you know, this morning, in fact, say we called him. He's a big, you know, huge financial gold investor. And we, he had gotten the book and he said, oh, my goodness, I just I can't say enough good things about your book. And that fable of Michaela, he said, that is so profound. I had to read it a couple of times because I kept seeing all the ways my, you know, my life is reflected in that. And so um, I think that's what got the attention. We got some Hollywood people who read it, some people we know had, you know, experience both in acting and producing some really decent um, movies in, in Hollywood. So then they came to me and said, well, can you expand it? So I started writing again. And the new, the, the expanded version, so I sent them the expanded version. I'm now at probably 35,000 words. And they're like, this is incredible. We love the new characters. So the new characters, what I ended up doing is pulling, you know, we, we talk about the seven roadblocks to asking because those are so important in the, in the book ask, um, you know, because we all carry these roadblocks. And often we don't even realize we, we, are, we have those. And those are what are stopping us from really understanding how to ask, what to ask, when to ask, they block us. So it's, you know, fear, doubt, um, pattern paralysis, excuses, um, disconnection, naivete. And so I wanted to take those roadblocks and put them inside of the fable of Michaela, because right now they exist outside. So I wrote that into the fable of Michaela and told these stories of all these new characters who have those roadblocks. And then somehow Michaela's life interfaces with theirs and this huge awareness and these breakthroughs come. It's so fun. I just, I love the storytelling part because um, when you, when we read a story, you know, there's something, there's like, it's, it's a metaphor for our own lives. We find these metaphors and we get involved in the emotion of those characters in the story. But then it's like, we can go through this sort of mini transformation, you know, because we get into the drama of those stories. So it's a really powerful way to learn and to teach. That's what that's what I found. When Ellie, Mark told me about it, I was just so excited. I know it's exciting, right? So, so <clears throat> she she is humble. That's not my <laughs> issue. Humble just means teachable and educable. But I, 
a lot of things, but I'm more the extrovert of the two of us. She would gladly be behind the scenes. She's understating what has happened. All these Hollywood types have read it and they're saying, oh my God, this is the next Harry Potter. Can you really line extend all this? And we see Disney Castle to Michaela and, <laughs> And it gives me goosebumps, and and it's and it hasn't happened, and it may not happen, but we're we're somewhere in the high nineties. I would say that it's going to come to pass because there's universal uh, acceptance. Because as you know, being of Danish descent, I had to read the 143 fables of Hans Christian Andersen, like the Ugly Duckling. But America, and I don't know about England, but I mean, and I love George Bernard Shaw and and uh, you know Bertrand Russell, and all of you are great writers, but none of them wrote fables. She is going to become the American fabulist of all time, as far as I'm Thanks, concerned. <laughs> so nice. Well, collectively, you need to get to these billion books. So anything that you know the the uh, movie can do to boost the books, book sales is going to be a welcome welcome addition. It was really interesting as well because there's no one I know better than you two for being able to tell stories. But it just makes the books so much more memorable. Um, and, and obviously, chicken soup for the soul. You've uh, you've articulated you know you've articulated that time and time again. With uh, how many books now are in the series, Mark, in their entirety? But when Jack and I sold, it was uh, two hundred fifty-four. I'm sure she's. What happens is this wonderful woman, uh, Dr. Amy Newmark, and her husband Bill, Dr. Bill Ruana, took it over, and they've now got we've got a major movie out uh, with Michael Caine called bestseller i don't know if it's up in europe or not uh but it it'll it, it is a movie like when jack and i were doing the chicken soup uh tour and we'd have 500 people or something we had time to do it together pretty soon we had to split just because there's so much invitation but they'd always say put a box of kleenex under everybody because because mark or jack will rip your heart out and then stop it <laughs> and and what's happening and sorry i guess that was too violent i didn't mean to be that <laughs> It's just it's so it's much exciting. fun to do that. I'm excited, right? But the same thing here. I think the same thing will happen with the the fable of Michaela, created by Miss Crystal. She's amazing yeah. writer. Well, thank you. I'm just I'm just what excites me is how people get so lifted up and find people who felt hopeless feel hope again. We've seen this through the the entire period of you know launching this book through COVID the weirdest time ever we're like why God <laughs> you know I like launched the month the shutdowns happened and all of our big events that launch events like 10,000 people that that got shut down so we're just like oh why is this happening you know to us but then it's like God has a bigger plan you know we it forced us to go out on podcasts and I honestly think we've been able to reach so many more people with the book and the message and the story and like just the feedback we're getting, Ellie, has been so rewarding to know that you could lift someone out of, you know, de the, the depression there that's on them and the hopelessness and give someone some real tools that are that they discover are already inside of them, but they just didn't know it. And so you can pull them into this path and this journey. And it's really an excavation of self and self-discovery and like pulling those dreams, awakening those dreams in your heart again, and then taking those dreams on this beautiful bridge, um, step by step, awareness, you know, question by question, answer by answer, awareness by awareness to your ultimate destiny, because we all have an ultimate destiny. I mean, there are points along the path of our destiny that we stop and we enjoy and we have, you know, great experiences, but we all do have like this ultimate expression, I believe, that is in us, that is our greatest self. And so if we can help 
everybody pull that out. Imagine how great the world becomes when we're all doing just that, just being our greatest. It's, it's genuinely so true. It is an excavation of self. And I, mm. I actually found last year doing the podcast has been it's been such an uplifting thing for, for me on a personal level because having phenomenal guests on like yourself and reading the books and the literature and then, you know, going really deep in your content, they certainly uh, kept me out of a, a dark hole and it, accessing a, a higher level of consciousness and helping me to, to, to certainly ask um, more in-depth questions to, to myself, to others, to the universe. And, and actually, I genuinely have found the book ask uh, i did mention it to you in the first the first podcast we did together but i found it genuinely life-changing and um, it's also given me the the confidence to be able to reach out to other people more and have more confidence in myself and it's it's certainly changed the trajectory of of my life and you know people often ask me how how do you remain so positive during such challenging times and Whilst that's not always been the case, I, I, I definitely think that people like yourself have, have been the turning point for me to choose a different reality and to, to, to focus on the solutions as opposed to the problems. And, and also to have that collective community of people um, who are so much more knowledgeable and further down the path that I want to travel. So, so genuinely want to to thank you from the bottom of my heart with, with that. First of all, I want to compliment you and, and say every one of us has got to do that. My model is is an upside down model like that. I mean, most triangles are this way, but my triangle is this way. And the reason is, is you got to have self-awareness. And what you just said is I in your self-awareness, you discovered service. And service is what it's all about. The big guy said, yeah. when, when the disciples said, well, how do we attain greatness? He said, grace amongst you, servant of all. Then you go to self-expression, which is why you're doing these podcasts. Then you go to self-mastery. You get really good at it because you're studying it all the time. And then you go to self-realization where you, you, you're in tune with the infinite because the infinite wants to get in tune with each of us, but it's a one-off. It's not, you can't do it. There's no wonderful dust that you sprinkle on everybody. But what happens is that when they read a book like Ask or they sit in our lecture and they get what's called entrainment, they go, Oh my gosh, there is more in me. There mm -hmm. is a bigger thing. I don't have to have this bleak picture. I can shut off the negative news, whether it's BBC or ABC or, or the Crisis News Network yeah. or anything else, because 90% of all news is totally negative and it, it puts you on red alert and it scares the crap out of you. Forgive me. I hope that's not too rough on your show. <laughs> but, you know, and in me, and then you go, wait a second, wait a second. That is a reality, but that's not the reality I want to participate in. And, and reality is holographic, is what. Stephen Hawking's in your country said the last thing he said before he died, he said, holy cow, we're living in a hologram, you know, and he was living in a, a crippled body. And there's a great movie about him because most people can't really read that. I always studied physics, so I got it, but it, it is wonderful. And I'm just grateful that you broke through because remember each one, teach one, each one, reach one, and you're reaching tens of thousands. And then the last part is that the podcasting thing has blessed us beyond blessed because we've done like 426 now. And what's so interesting is that we have other authors who say, well, I did five and my book's not a bestseller and go, no, no, that's, that's like you turn the, you put the key in, but you forget to turn on the engine. <laughs> yeah. but, but the level, the level of your goals surely determines the level of your reality because you've always set out with the intention of selling one billion books. Nobody's ever sold 
a billion books without first having the intention of selling one billion books. Yet so many authors when I speak to them, their goal is not even to necessarily sell a billion. Exactly. Right. The average author only sells 500 and it's not that the market's not there. They haven't figured out. One of the things I did write was how to grow rich in your niche. Everyone's got niches, but we, we believe everyone has a book in them. Everyone needs to write. Everyone needs to grow in self-awareness where they ask themselves, what do I want to be? What do I want to do? What do I want to have? And what is my destiny? And Crystal articulated it so well. Most people have never answered the question in writing and said, what is my ultimate destiny? Because when you're when the game is done, you'll look back. Life isn't a dress rehearsal, right? You're going to look back and go, oh, my God, I missed out on it. And then it, assuming you get to heaven, you know, and you see all the stuff that was available to you and, yeah. and you've got a house in heaven and you missed it because you weren't a willing to be asked. And that's what Crystal and I discovered. The reason we wrote the Ask book is we discovered all these wonderful people in the 80 countries we've been to around the world. And the difference between somebody who succeeds a little and somebody who's vastly successful is one thing. They've learned what you've learned now and mastered. They've become a master asker. <laughs> a master asker. I absolutely love that. And in terms of the promotion of your book, and you mentioned the word pivot there. You've obviously moved to podcasts and started marketing in different ways. And I know you're both world class at business and marketing. But was there any sort of key moments that have led to the phenomenal success that you've had with the book? You know, for example, when you're promoting the um, the Chicken Soup for the Soul, the original series, one of the things that really stood out to me, and I'm not sure whether it was whether it was you or Jack, that the masterstroke of sending a copy to all the jury members of the O.J. Simpson trial, and then the media caught wind of it and the snowball effect from that. Was there any kind of key moments that you've had during the promotion of the Ask book? Yeah, I think one of the key moments was, um, get, probably the top key moment is getting the attention of the Hollywood group after they read it. Um, and I sent that, we were on a sort of thread about you know discussing all of the COVID stuff. And there's a big group in Hollywood who was concerned about some of the things that were going on and questioning some of it. And uh, as we were introduced to more people, this, this guy came on and uh, I can't really say names, but Anyhow, um, he looked at it. He's like, this looks amazing. That was just a key moment because I just said, you know, we talk about, you know, asking questions in our ask book and then I popped it on the on the thread and he got it. And he came back later separately to me and he's like, oh, my gosh, I just read this. It's unbelievable. This needs to be a movie. And it started from there. But, you know, there are a lot of mini key moments too, like just um corporate owners, you know, loving the book so much, like let me buy boxes for my company. And, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of things like that have happened. Um, we're super excited because we're launching a funnel very soon. Um, we're, we've built an ask course. So we're going to be marketing um, this course, we're going to do a free webinar. And um, the course is just amazing. It was so funny the the guy who was filming us is an ex military guy, just this brilliant genius of a guy but he's also a very talented film you know videographer editor so it, we knew we were on to something ellie as we were filming this course he, he, he said oh my gosh i keep i keep forgetting that i'm filming he goes i'm getting so sucked into everything you're saying i'm like i'm wanting to take notes and, and so that was a really big um 
sort of confirmation that we were on the track in terms of what people needed to hear and that it would affect people. So we're super excited to launch that. So the whole thing's just been kind of an adventure because we put our hearts into it and we keep asking yeah. questions like how, where do we take it next? I mean, the, the thing, I think when people don't experience success, it's because they give up too soon. They stop asking questions. They stop saying, you know, where am I going from here? Um, and, and when you stop, you know, of course, you're not going to have any, any more forward momentum. So just keep asking those questions. So let me hitchhike on that at three levels. First of all, whatever anyone's doing, they got to be persistent, consistent, and insistent. And that's what Jack and I did to sell more books than anybody else. And then the same thing here is if people say, well, you've already been super successful. You've been number one on Amazon again and again and again. Why are you doing it? Because it's not done. It's like Dale Carnegie. I worked at Dale Carnegie World Headquarters and met Mrs. Carnegie, who kept it going and was making $50 million a year long after Dale had died. The guy wrote How to Win Friends and Influence People. So this is a journey of we want to wake up everybody to their inner full potential of asking. So that's that part I want to hitchhike on what Crystal said. And then the second part, back to your question, what happened is that we in the first Chicken Soup of the Soul, we had a story on OJ, uh, at, you know, who obviously went to court and did terrible things. And, and uh, all of a sudden, we're getting all these letters saying, why do you have that story about OJ? Well, we wrote it when he was a great football player before yeah. we knew this, because the book took a year and a half before it became published in the old days. They're really slow at that. So now Jack and I had to pull that story out. And, and so if somebody's got an old edition, they can read it. It was a great story, and I won't tell it right now. But suddenly we are looking at this and going, well, how do we turn this lemon into lemonade? And I think it was my idea. If Jack claims that he can claim it all he wants, that's fine. It was my idea. But I said, <laughs> look, let's send one to Judge Edo and see if he okays it. Because in America court system, you're not allowed to watch TV. You're not allowed to read the newspaper. You're not allowed to talk about the case that you're – you're locked down. You're what's called sequestered for like it was six or eight months. Yeah, no radios. And no radio. And I said, look, our book has nothing political in it, nothing about OJ because the new edition. Let's send one to him, get it okay. He okayed it. Well, every day, all the people walked in with our book like this. So millions of people around the world. So it was absolutely free publicity. And everyone said, how did you do that? I said, well, I just came up with the idea. And I thought, what is what is the judge going to say? He read every word, wrote back that Edo, yeah. Judge Edo loved it, and he said, "Yeah, I don't see anything political in it. Send me up thirteen books." And I said, I thought, 13. Well, hell, you only need twelve for the jurors, but I guess you want one for your wife. I don't know what that is. <laughs> you know, so, so so we sent him thirteen books. And by the way, it couldn't have been better because all of a sudden, all the newspapers are saying, "What in the heck? They're all carrying this. They're twelve out of twelve people carrying this book, and nobody had ever done that before." And that's what I'm saying about books. Whether you could behind you furniture, it could be you know, signage, it could be anything somebody wants. There's unique ways to publish it. And what I wanted to say about what Crystal has written is we won't write anything that's not unique, not transformational, and not inevitable to serve in a great, glorious way. And that's the principles of all the companies we own. We own several, but that I, to all the business people out there and all the wannabe entrepreneurs, do something unique. God gave you this great, desire and and it's going to help you rise higher and higher if you go to what is called your destiny yeah. everyone's got a soul destiny I, by the way i was meditating before we got on this and forgive me for waxing on so poetically but you love us and we love you <laughs> my my flash was of all these podcasts we've done to tens of millions of people literally around the world not once has somebody said you're full of crap there's no such thing as the soul destiny we believe 
And so far, at least all the podcasters have been very nice to us. And I said, there's no such thing as a slow destiny. I was born blank. <laughs> but you, you also believe that it's within everyone's destiny to write a book, you know, to, to unlock that wisdom that we all have in all of us. And it's something that you really encourage people to, to get out of their own way and actually do that for themselves, but also you know, not, not just as part of their legacy, but to actually make that contribution. Three things about that. Number one is I did write a book called You Have a Book in You, and on the back cover I wrote, uh, the best book hasn't been written yet because you haven't written it. Number two is I believe everyone should write their biography or autobiography, and you've just seen my biography being written. And, and what happens is that everyone's here to leave a legacy, even if it's to yourself, because the unexamined life Socrates said it's not worth living. And, and having a year of biography, I mean, and we just wrote a biography on the, biggest black minister ever, a lovely guy named Reverend Ike. You can watch him on YouTube, but we just, we finished it and it'll come out. Again, publishers are slow, so it won't come out until 2023, but it is a phenomenal book that it, the guy said, look, welfare is a place, but not a resting place. Just brilliant. And then I'm going to give this back to Crystal in one second. And the third thing is because not everyone has a place to publish. We have the Mark Victor Ensign Library.com, which is a publishing house, but we will ghostwrite your book because not everyone can write a book that's sticky, meaning it's compelling and you can't stop reading it. Go ahead, you want to add No, I, I was just going to say, you know, there's a wealth of information in every life, inside of every person. No one's lived your life. No one's had your experiences. So how wonderful to share those, you know, share the things you've learned, um, the things that you've gone through, the things that have, you've experienced. And, you know, even if it's not a number one bestseller, just sharing that with your family. Think about if you had, if your grandmother had written a book like that on all of the things that happened to her, you know, and how she felt about it, what it meant to her. I just think that family legacy is so powerful because this life is, is difficult. You know, I mean, we live in this world of black and white, you know, dark and light. We experience the darkness. You know, we, we all get a little depressed sometimes. We all lose hope sometimes. It's, a, it's the human experience. So as you're navigating through life, how amazing would it be, be to pick up your grandmother's book or your great grandmother's book and have those books passed down through families where you go, oh, wow, we felt the same way. And this is how she got through it. And this is how, you know, your book, your words are so valuable. And I just don't think we, we all look at it as I think too many people look at it. As, well, what's my great commercial success on this? And that's important. Those goals are important. But there are also those personal goals. Um, that we should consider, like, what are we leaving as a piece of ourselves that others can learn from now and in future generations? Well, just to let you know, you guys are writing my foreword. It's written down here. Oh, Mitzi, yeah. Mitzi, Mitzi's going to help me with the book. She doesn't know yet. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't know yet. Fantastic. I just love the way that she's worded yours. So, why, why not go to the best? Which actually leads me on to, to to a question because you mentioned there, Mark. Not everyone may have the skills or the aptitude to to write a sticky book. But do people? You know, I mentioned before, you guys are both world class at sales and marketing. Do people need to, or would you advise that they go out and learn those skills, or something else that you're world class at is leveraging other people? Do you think that if you as Steve Jobs would put it, conduct the orchestra. Can you leverage other people's specialisms and, um, you know, per perhaps cut those stages out and, and just get it done? I love the big question. And your question has multiple aspects to it. Yeah. But Steve Jobs is one of my heroes. But 
he orchestrated it, but he was the master at design, the master at marketing, the master at seeing markets like I can. I see markets and it's, it's dumbfounding to me that other people don't see how to, to line extents and scale their businesses. So it is really good. You want to add to that? Oh, no, I was just going to say, you know, that's exactly what we are doing. That's why we started the Mark Victor Hansen Library, because it's, it's exactly what you said, Ellie. A lot of people come to us and they have these great ideas about a book, you know, some really good philosophies, principles, maybe profound experiences, but they don't know how to really write or they, you know, they don't have enough to fill an entire book because it's a lot. It's a lot of writing that, you know, it takes a lot of writing and a lot of content to fill an entire book. And some people get started and they go, oops, now I have 25 pages. I can't think of anything else. So we started the library because we wanted to help those people. So basically the Mark Victor Hansen library is we do ghostwriting. We take your story, your personality, your you as a character, and uh, we turn it into a fiction because we like the storytelling part. We found, um, you know, when Mark did the research that fiction actually, even though we've had great success at nonfiction, fiction sells better. So what if we could take people's stories, their philosophies, their ideas, and turn it into a fiction, into a novel, and write it for them and publish it for them? So that's what we do at the Mark Victor Hansen Library. And it has been so rewarding. And I am so excited about these books that are coming out of the library. They're fun, they're interesting. They help people pull those ideas into these beautiful characters with a beautiful storyline and people. The feedback we're getting is incredible. They're, we have a wonderful team that, you know, we start the book and then the team get, you know, takes it and, and does the writing. We all understand what the book is about and, um, and then we take off with it and they are blown away. They just kind of, we get comments all the time like, I, I can't believe you understood me this well. And this story is so beautiful. And, you know, so it's, it is such a fun, it's been such a fun venture for us. I love that. And the stories definitely make the books memorable. Final question for you. What makes people memorable to you? You get interviewed multiple times a day. You know everyone in every country. What makes someone stand out? Go ahead, you first. I just want, for me, authenticity you know just don't try to be anybody but yourself because mm -hmm. it's just, there's nothing more beautiful than the full you but i feel like some people filter themselves or try to be something a little different or try to put on this you know almost a, like a like a phony personality don't do that just be yourself i think that's one of the things i love about you ellie you are so much just you expressing and i think that's why you've been so successful um with your podcast and no one can say no to you <laughs> oh, thank you. I love that. Yeah. Well, thank you, I think everything she says is correct. I, I just see a little bit different. That is, I think it's the inner radiance, the soul inside showing outside. In other words, your soul is either dull and dim-witted and dull-wadded, or it's radiant and it's expressive and it's expansive, and, and you haven't let the world constipate you, and you haven't let society yeah. slow you down. You haven't let your parents or your sibs or your best friends pull you down and you just decide to do it and, and i absolutely promise you i have not been without a lot of critics all the way through and still and the bigger you get the bigger easier target you are like you can see the target on on elon musk right now because he just did i don't, I don't know if you get the same news i do but i just got to do the biggest coolest thing he just <laughs> 
uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> took, took Putin and said, I will have a duel with you so we can see what should happen in Ukraine. Now, when some people are listening to this six months from now, they're going to go, that was dumb. Dumb hell. That is the best publicity stunt in the world. I saw it on 10 different paper headlines and I so thought, funny. my God, what a great idea because Putin is not going to duel with him. And yet, <laughs> so I just went through Navy SEAL training a couple of weeks ago here. Oh, wow. And, with the best SEALs in the world, the guys who won for us in Iraq and Afghanistan before we gave those stupid things away. Anyhow, um, uh, sorry, a little frustration on my part. And these guys are men's men, and we are tough. And, and we, my team won at the very end. After losing five, we won one at the very end when I took leadership. It was sort of amazing because we had six leaders in each group. It was, But the, the point is, is I wrote Jocko, who's the biggest, best SEAL, I get goosebumps telling you, the world's best SEAL trainer, and I wrote Jocko and said, Jocko, you need to train Alon. And he wrote back and said, I'm on it, Mark. And it just, it, it's astounding to me. But do you understand that that PR has gotten me to do PR on him now? And, and I have no benefit in selling Alon other than I think he is, he is the consummate thinker. He runs five companies at the yeah, same time. Amazing. He's got thousands of goals. Somehow he gets all of them done. He's late. But who cares if you're late? <laughs> he made Tesla the premier car. He says, I'm five years ahead of any other electric car and they can't even catch me. And I can go on and on, but, and he's doing, he's going to take us to move the Mars within it. And we've been yeah. with your neighbor and our dear friend, Richard Branson and Branson said, look, I'm going to go to the Mars with him and it's going to take 70 days. And I'll come back and say, and I said, Richard, we, Crystal and I love you, but I would ask you to stand here. If you're <laughs> running 421 companies, we need you here and don't want you to disappear and not be able to come back from Mars like we saw the movie Mars. <laughs> you know, I always say relationships are the highest form of currency, but you guys just take it to the next level and you, you don't even do it deliberately. But you, when you're just talking about your friends, you're talking about Elon Musk and Richard Branson and just like the greatest minds in the world. You're, you're in such good company talking about such amazing people. Um, I could talk to you guys all day, but I know how busy you are. We'll need to get you back on because... I've not got through any of my questions as usual because we just like so many questions. I just like to go where the conversation takes us. Um, but I absolutely love you both. I love the book. I love everything that you're doing, everything that you stand for. And I'm just so grateful for your time for coming back on for a second time and making this episode amazing. Our Thank absolute you, pleasure. Thank Ellie. you. You are the best. Thank you so much. Oh, take care. Bye, guys. That's it for today. And thank you for listening to On a Mission with Ellie Mackay. If you've enjoyed today's content, please hit the like and subscribe button and share it with anyone you feel would benefit from hearing it.